everyone. Communications Director Jay Sokol here. When College Station Fire Chief Eric Hurt announced his upcoming retirement, I gave him a shout and I asked if he dropped by Studio J uh, for a quick chat, you know, sort of an exit interview. And he was gracious enough to make that happen. Now, I've only known Eric since I came to work here almost seven years ago, but he is a great guy, an interesting guy, who still seems really excited about the firefighting profession, even after 35 years. I do know this, when all the department heads gather on Wednesday mornings to talk about city council agendas and other things that are in our world, Eric Hurt does two things. Number one, he keeps things pretty light and he knows how to make the rest of the room laugh. And number two, when he does speak up about something, people listen. And that really says something about the respect that he has from all of his peers. Anyway, you're going to hear the chief reflect on a long and distinguished career that he's now bringing in for a landing. And I think you'll enjoy it. First of all, congratulations on on just about making it to the finish line and uh, announcing the big retirement. I, I, I don't know what the magic day was or the magic moment, but uh, when did it become apparent that this is it? Well, I had set some some goals for myself when I accepted the fire chief's position. One of them was the international accreditation of the fire department. Uh, the other one was a quality assurance program for our EMS. Pro- our EMS. It was also to get a uh, FTO field training officer program up and running inside of our EMS. Um, and uh, with the help of a lot of fine men and women, we were able to accomplish that. And these were things that I had had on my mind for years that I felt like the department needed, but we had just never quite gotten there. Yeah. So that getting those things done and reaching the point where I've got 35 years of service and I'm 55 years old and it, it just sounded like a good time to go enjoy life a little bit. Let's start kind of from the beginning here. And, uh, when did you first think that you wanted to be a firefighter? You know, I, I remember as a kid watching that show Emergency, you know. Oh, sure. And I guess I was a little different. I enjoyed the show. I never, you know, saw myself as being a firefighter, though. But when I was in high school, I lived in a small town that had a vol- vol- mainly volunteer fire department. Where are you from? Uh, Round Rock. Oh, okay. I guess it was a small town back it then. It was. It was 1,500 people when I moved oh. from there. So you... Their high school probably, or one of their high schools probably has that many students now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would feel most certain it did. Anyway, they had the, the big, we used to call it the whaling siren that used to go off downtown. And that would call the volunteer firefighters to come in if they had a fire or some kind of disaster going on that they needed extra help with. And I remember as a kid hearing that that sound of that siren, and it was always kind of exciting because then, you know, the trucks were going to roll out shortly thereafter. So when I was 17, I went over to talk to them about becoming a volunteer, and they told me I had to be 18. So if it wasn't on my 18th birthday, it was as close to it as I could get. Well, did Round Rock have a a city fire department or, or was it just volunteer back then they had a city fire department it consisted of n- nine paid firefighters and one paid fire chief okay. and so it was three on per day all right and 
the volunteers supplemented that. So after I turned 18, I checked into it, find out what I had to do to get in, went to some of their training days, uh, applied to become part of the organization, and was a volunteer there for, I guess all told, about a year and a half. But after I'd been doing it for about six months, I said, you know, I, this has got to be what I do for a living. Really? Uh, so that's when you knew? That's when I knew. I you know, at that age, you're really looking. Some people know exactly what they want to do. I didn't have a clue at that age. Uh, I had a lot of things that interested me, but I wasn't really sure which one, I, which one I wanted to focus on. And after about six months with the volunteer department, that was when I got to the point where I was really able to start doing some things to make a difference, you know. That was when it hit me. This is what I've got to do for the rest of, the rest of my life. I, I can't think of any other job I want. And... From there, I started uh, pursuing a job as a career as a career firefighter, and College Station happened to have openings at the time, and so this is where I ended up. What, about what year would that have been? That was 1981. Okay, and, and at that point, let's see, College Station Fire Department really got started. What about 74, something like that? 71. 71. Yeah. So it's still a pretty new new department here, right? I've been part of it all but 10 years of its existence. Do you remember along the way, and we'll kind of revisit some of your, your career, but do you remember a specific time or an instance when you may have had a serious doubt about the career that you had chosen? You know, I can't say that I ever had a doubt about the career I had chosen. I can tell you a specific rank that I had a doubt about. Okay. Um and it was it's probably for a much different reason than most people would think. You know, we hire people in as a firefighter, and they can become a firefighter first class. And then the next rank after that is driver engineer. Well, I've been a well-known motorhead and loved racing and everything else my entire life. So it seemed like promotion to driver engineer was a natural for me, you know. It's next to driving a, driving a stock car at the Daytona, you know. Okay. Uh, I got promoted to driver and realized that all I got to do then was drive everybody to the party and then stand outside and watch them have a party. <laughs> and so it was at that point that I realized I need to be a lieutenant because then I get to go back in the fire again. Oh, so that was And right. so that was the, I would say, probably my least favorite rank in the fire department. But when you ask most people, they'll tell you it was their favorite rank. Probably what had something to do with that not being my favorite rank was we used to run a two-piece company back then, which meant you had your attack engine and then you had a hose company. Well, that second engine was just loaded down with fire hose and only one person, the driver. So you would back up to the fire engine that's crew was going to be fighting the fire, and you would lay hoses for a block or two and tie into a fire hydrant. So not only did I not to go get to go in and fight the fire, but I couldn't even see it. <laughs> so I, I've never heard it described like this. Yeah. So when uh, I'd get off the next morning, and you know, one of my buddies would ask me something. You know, one part of the fire department would ask me, well. Hey, what about that fire last night? And I'd say, well, you probably know more about it than I did. All I could see was three hoses running into the smoke. And you were there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So I understand that was your least favorite. What was your favorite 
rank along the way? Because you've held just about every rank, every yeah. position within the fire department. But yeah. where was the sweet spot for you? I mean, uh, paychecks notwithstanding. Right. I mean, what was the most fun for you? I think I probably had the most fun as a lieutenant and a lieutenant on the truck company, on the ladder truck. So to me, that was, it had the right amount of action mixed in with the right amount of supervision and uh, the right amount of responsibility. I really enjoyed that rank. It, um, you were still providing direct service to a customer. Mm -hmm. You know, it was very hands-on. There's not a whole lot of difference for me between the ranks, but if I was forced to pick out a favorite, that would be it. Yeah. No, I can see that. Okay, so I have to ask you the, the cliche questions because I think there are probably some interesting answers in them. A best day of your 35-year career, something that really stands out to you as that was fantastic. I think it'll be June 30th, 2016. <laughs> that seems like it'll be it, huh? The, the finish line. <laughs> no, there's 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 been so many that the the fire service is a career of unbelievable highs and unbelievable lows, and trying to 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 pick out one high point. It seems strange, but kind of a high point was when we saw the last log come off the bonfire stack. What was your role out there? I was an assistant fire chief. I was in charge of operations at the time. So I was actually a liaison between command and the rescue sector Yeah, and interfacing with uh, Texas A&M officials. And so you rolled up on that scene about what time? I would say within 20 minutes of the collapse. So that would be before 3 in the morning, right? Yes. Yeah. It was still dark. There were no lights up going yet because the collapse had taken out the generators. And pretty eerie scene. What do you and remember about it? I remember that it was extremely quiet. Yeah. And you would think with that much having just gone on that it would be very noisy but it was extremely quiet everybody was methodically going about their job looking for survivors identifying those that hadn't survived mm -hmm. you know I, I hate the word surreal because everybody overuses it sure. but it it was just so different from normal that the hush that was over that entire area you know you knew that something huge had taken place and something that would be part of this community forever yeah and when i say one of the high points was seeing that last log moved off that stack it was a high point because everybody working together in this community managed to get that area back to normal yeah and for me, it was an indication that, okay, there, there are no more injured people than what we've already found. And uh, we've already transported everybody we can transport. We've already made the notifications we had to have to make. It was a feeling of uh, um, a massive job completed. And it would also probably have to be one of the low points. Sure. So sure. it's strange to think about identifying one incident as a high point and a low point, but, you know, it started as a low point, 
and then there was a feeling at the end that, you know, the fire department had been able to really undertake a great task and accomplish it without getting anyone else hurt. Well, and College Station Fire Department was really uh, prominent in the reporting of, of how Bonfire was unfolding because uh, Bart Humphreys was one of the primary people releasing information. Absolutely. And he did a great job. Uh, you know, Bart was one of the faces of that incident and uh, got a lot of recognition and accolades for how he handled things. How about close calls for you? If you're running into that many fires, uh, something had to either happen to you or almost happened to you. Yeah. The equipment back when I started wasn't near the quality it is nowadays. And it was fairly common to get blisters on your neck and on your ears when you went into a structure fire. The air packs were not a positive pressure air pack, so you, you pretty much had to suck the air out of them. Yeah. So if you had leaks in your mask, you were sucking the smoke in with the air. The gloves, we wore white mule gloves, just like you wear to work in your yard. So you were constantly sticking your hands into the hose stream to keep them wet so they wouldn't steam off and burn your hands. Um, so, yeah, you had a lot of those little annoyances. But at the time, that's just the way firefighting was, and you didn't think anything of it. That was just part of the job. Um, I've had some air conditioning. I had uh, one or two. I, I should know this, but I guess all the hits to the head probably made me forget how many it was. <laughs> but the uh, air conditioning units that are up in the attics of homes, uh, I had one of those big air handlers fall out and hit me in the head one day as I was crawling down a hall and pinned me to the floor. Oh, so that that was that was pretty interesting. I, I remember sitting up against the wall and thinking as I watched the flames flicker down the ceiling, how pretty that was. <laughs> you really and did. That you really thought that. That's exactly what I thought. It was just how beautiful and how it came in little waves and. <laughs> I was just really enjoying leaning up against that wall, watching those fire that fire work its way down that ceiling. And then when all of my senses came back, I realized, yeah, it's probably not a good place to be. Fire's not a good thing, so uh, it's time to get out of here. So but, did people come to your aid, or did they even know you needed aid? Didn't even know I needed aid. Wow. At the point at that time, you know, we had a lot less people on the scene, and I was sent down a hallway to go check a room. Halfway to that room, the ceiling collapsed. I was crawling along the floor in the smoke. Ceiling collapsed. Air conditioner hit me in the head and knocked me uh, about half senseless. Some will say I've I've stayed in that state ever since. But <laughs> half senseless, <laughs> yeah, made you qualified for the cheap job, right? <laughs> That's well, it. some of the old timers are starting to leave this particular organization, right. and it happens everywhere. What kind of challenges do you have as a chief in terms of recruiting the next generation of firefighters? How hard is that? Well, you know, a lot of it kind of revolves around what the economy's doing. There's times when a government job looks really good. There's times when, you know, the oil field may be booming and all that, that a government job doesn't look nearly as good. So we, we have to deal with, of course, what the economy's doing across the country. Um, but trying to get folks in that have a strong mechanical aptitude is becoming a little more difficult than it used to be back in the days when we had to fix everything ourselves. I see. Um, 
you know, when you would wire a, a light switch into your own house, uh, now everybody calls an electrician. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much safer to call an electrician, uh, but you know, you were wiring lights into barns and stuff like that. So you, you knew what the white wire was, the black wire was, and the natural colored wire, the copper wire, and you knew what they were used for. Uh, most folks around the beginning age of a firefighter, they're not going to know what those three different colors mean on those wires, which one's going to hurt you, which one's not. All right. So there's a lot of education now that has to go into making a good firefighter that kind of came from life experience previously. But I guess you guys, like like the police department, or like just about any department in this town, I mean, we're competing with Brian. Sometimes we're competing with the county or we're competing mm-hmm. with nearby jurisdictions. Uh, is it all about, does it come down to the money or uh, is it just hard to find people who want to make firefighting their profession? Well, it's, it's only for certain people. I do have to say that, you yeah. know, not, not everybody wants to be a firefighter. I, I don't understand that, but apparently there, are, there are those that don't want to be, uh, same way with any other profession, but there are times when entry salary is what people are looking at. Uh, we recently made some changes to, to get our entry level salary up to help our recruiting efforts. There are location of a community means a lot. If you've got somebody that wants to be where A and M is, this is where they're going to want to come to work. Sure. If you've got somebody that wants to surf on their days off, they're probably not coming to College Station. <laughs> Uh, if you have a mountain climber, chances are they're not coming here either. Right. So, you know, you're dealing with all of those different things. There's a small pool of people that really want to be a firefighter to begin with. And you're, you're comparing yourself against uh, pay rates, um, sta- types of living accommodations, whether or not they like a cold climate, don't like a cold climate. So we're, we're – competing you know nationally for the pool of people that want to be firefighters so if you're looking in your crystal ball how do you think fire departments might have to change their thinking say in 10 years 20 years what's that going to look like what does it need to look like well you know everything is based off of technology if if there are any major advances in technology, you, you could have a fire department that looks completely different 10 years from now than it looks today. If there's nothing that can help out how fires are fought and EMS calls are made, then you're going to have a fire department looking fairly similar to what you have today 10 years from now. Um, you, you think of changes that occur throughout time you know the you think about your cell phone you know when i came to work in college station we didn't even have a computer in the fire department uh the only phone hung on the wall and that was it you had radios but you only had one radio per truck and now every single person's got a radio everybody's carrying a computer around in their pocket that's called a cell phone you've got computers everywhere in the stations for reporting you've got trucks that are computer controlled whereas before everything was you know there was a throttle cable that connected your foot to the 
to the intake manifold on the engine. Now it's all fly-by-wire. You're about to have uh, vehicles that are hotspots themselves. Absolutely. We already do have some that are hotspots, and that's needed for the connectivity to keep our mobile data terminals connected all the time. But I wonder, you know, as as the fight for um, revenues and, and, and slices of the budget become maybe more difficult in the future, do fire departments have to evolve and say, okay, we don't necessarily need the granddaddy $2 million truck. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can get the job done with the $1 million truck. I'm making this up. But sure. I mean, I wonder if there will have to be some shifts uh, to to get what you need, but it may not look exactly like uh, it looks right now. I'll tell you the one biggest change that could happen would be fire sprinkler systems in all residential buildings. If you look at the fires we have in College Station, they're generally not in commercial buildings because we do have fire inspections in those. We have fire sprinkler systems in those there's a watch being kept on those structures now in your personal home right now if you're sitting here listening to this podcast from where you're sitting you can probably look at something that's not actually fire safe an outlet you've got overloaded uh, a cord you've got running under carpet that gets rubbed on all the time i mean it could be any number of things if we had sprinkler systems in all of these residential areas where when a fire does break out there's something to contain that and control that until we can get there yeah you would see a change in the fire service absolutely but everybody is very resistant to that because oh, yeah. it adds to the price of a home exactly sure and you know the if it adds to the price of a home then the builder is going to have to charge more the the owner is going to have to pay more and you know as you go through that whole process there's a little bit of extra money tacked onto it it would be a big change in the fire service but show me a fire department that wouldn't be in favor of that absolutely so if you had not been a career firefighter, what might you have done really well and enjoyed a whole lot? I guess I'm at a loss on that one. Uh, well, I know when we talked uh, yeah. around the, annou- the announcement, you said, I-, I can't think of another profession besides firefighting that you know would have fit you. But right. if this hadn't been available to you for some reason, uh, you see yourself being enough fishing guide or uh, uh, you know what would uh, you do you know uh, at, at a younger age uh, i would have loved to have driven indy cars or funny cars in the nhra for drag racing uh, i have done a lot of racing throughout my career as a firefighter on my on my time off four wheels or two wheels uh both i've raced motorcycles i've raced cars i've uh uh, I've got I currently have a rock crawler Jeep that I take out into the hill country and and uh, climb around on the rocks with. Yeah, it's that's always been part of my life and it always will. I just really haven't seen any good way pop up to make a living doing that. <laughs> no, <laughs> precious few people get to do that. Yeah. So, who made the biggest impact on you along this way, along this journey? I would say that my wife. Uh, I'll tell you, this is the kind of job that I think would be almost impossible to do without a very understanding wife. Yeah. Um, the kind of things you see, the kind of things that 
that you you do during a work shift the fact that you're home for 24 hours and then you're gone for 24 hours you if your shift happens to fall on christmas day well so be it you're not home with your family on christmas Mm -hmm. if it happens to fall on your wife's birthday you're still at the fire station so having the love and understanding of a of a spouse and is is paramount i think to being successful at this job i think it takes a a special kind of person to be a firefighter but it takes a special kind of person to be a soldier it takes a special kind of person to be a paramedic it takes us you know a doctor a college professor it's just that that has to be in your dna that's what you want to do yeah Okay. Even radio host and podcast uh, oh, yeah. folks, they're, they're special too. Yeah, and there are air quotes around special. I guarantee <laughs> you that. So uh, I asked one of your counterparts, friends and counterparts, um, if, if he had a question for you or a comment or anything because we were going to be sitting down talking. So I, I called Brian Fire Chief uh, Randy McGregor, and mm-hmm. he said to pass along to you that obviously he's enjoyed working with you and knowing you for all these years. Uh, but he also said he's especially thankful for the, the no-cost use of Engine 6 and Medic 6 out of <laughs> Station 6. Yeah, he, he got me there. We, uh, <laughs> we, we make quite a few calls into that uh, southern southeast area of Bryan. And... But, you know, when we're looking at a community like Bryan College Station, we have to think kind of globally of that community. Our automatic aid agreements that we have in place, we look at the two cities as having a total of 11 fire stations. So instead of, you know, College Station having six and Bryan having five, we're drawing resources from 11. And we definitely needed a fire station on that end of town to serve the college station citizens on that end. But Bryan citizens also get a great benefit from it, too. Yeah. So it's uh, that sounds like something Randy would say. It does, uh, doesn't it? Yeah, he asked me when we were going to get him his ladder truck the other day. So <laughs> Classy individual. He's a great guy. He is a great guy. So uh, how about uh, kind of a parting message to College Station citizens about their fire department as you're bringing this in for a landing? I would say that you should you should really be proud of your fire department. I, I think that you have one of the best fire departments that's out there, uh, a group of very dedicated, highly trained individuals functioning as a team who have a, a single focus and that's the safety of the community and providing the absolute best service that they can chief i appreciate your time thank you jay there you go almost retired nearly retired fire chief eric hurt really will miss that guy don't forget to check out our podcast archives that's at soundcloud.com slash college station and also do this follow us on twitter We're at City of CS. And since Chief Hurt said his career was inspired by the old TV show Emergency, we'll let that theme song close out the show today. I'm Jay Sokol. Start my V51. Guard 51, continue monitoring vitals and transport me.